0: Welcome to this special episode of the Health Disparities Podcast, recorded live and in person at the annual Movement Is Life Caucus in Washington, D.C., and also special because we have a very Hispanic and DEI focus for this group discussion, featuring our group of Hispanic health equity leaders from across the United States. I am Claudia Zamora, founder and CEO of Zamora Consulting Group, member of the Movement is Life Steering Committee, and board member of the National Hispanic Medical Association. It is my pleasure to host the podcast for the first time. I am joined by my co-host for this discussion, orthopedic surgeon Dr. Ramon Jimenez, also a member of the Movement is Life Steering Committee. Dr. Ilan Shapiro, who is the Chief Health Correspondent and Medical Affairs Officer at AltaMed in Los Angeles, California. Uh, our next panelist is Dr. Armando de Alba. He is a faculty member in the Department of Family Medicine and an Assistant Dean of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at the University of Nebraska Medical Center, College of Medicine. And our third and final speaker in the workshop is Dr. Adela Valdez, Associate Dean of Diversity and Inclusion, Associate Dean of Continuing Medical Education, Professor of Family and Community Medicine, School of Medicine at the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley. So before we get into the discussion, let me share with our listeners a quick outline of our amazing workshop that we are discussing on this episode titled, Social Influences of Health, Opening Doors, Opening Minds, Impacting Lives, Strategies to Improve Well-Being. We wanted to explore in depth the social drivers of health in diverse communities. Address the dimensions of community intersectionality, the importance of breaking communication barriers in healthcare by translating medicalish, to a more understandable language for patients of all ages, and lastly, identify strategies to address the unique needs of communities, in particular, underserved communities. Let me ask my co-host, Dr. Jimenez, one thing before we hear from the rest of our panel. When we say social influences of health, are we talking about social determinants, healthcare providers? What do we mean by social influencers of health?
1: To put it simply, what I think is meant by the influencers of health or that a patient gets or that a person receives from other persons around them, from the environment around them, uh, from the opportunities around them, in order to get the best uh, health. For instance, Um, recently I've been been, uh, involved with uh, an operation change uh, venue at the Croc Center in San Diego, California. And at that Croc Center, uh, I was there for a town hall, and 15 women showed up as part of their group, which is called kitchenistas kitchenistas and these women are representative of the latino hispanic latino families in which the matriarch or the mothers of the of the family are really the quotes doctors close quotes they uh, seek uh, the medical care, they obtain the medical care, they seek the medicines, they go to the pharmacy, they may have uh, pharmacy left over from, uh, or drugs left over, uh, medications from others, and they uh, will then impart some of this treatment to their uh, family members, if you would. There are also, and so they're a big influencer as as I see it. Another tremendous influencer I've seen is or are promotoras. And and I think that the word most probably identifies them as promotoras because a a, a lot of them are, most of them, the majority of them are women. And it is these individuals who kind of empower the patient they can. They have access to the patient. They can go to the family, knock on the doors. They are not white coat health care providers. They are their neighbor or their, it could be uh, so somebody just uh, not necessarily, a, it could be an extended family friend or relative or something like that. But these uh, promotors say, come here. Here's where you how you get to the to the nearest hospital. Here's what you go to ask for. Here's how you approach this clinic, et cetera. So it kind of uh, really uh, is a real influencer in having these individuals, these disadvantaged marginalized populations, uh, obtain. Healthcare,
0: um, Dr. De Alba, would you please give us uh, a glimpse of your presentation during our workshop today?
2: Absolutely. Well, I had the privilege to share the stage with amazing colleagues who are doing a lot of community work, and um, basically, I shared. I started my presentation by sharing a, um, some efforts that we are doing in Nebraska. So, I am located in Omaha, Nebraska in the Midwest, for those who are not familiar with where Omaha, Nebraska is it's right in the heart of the country, right at the heart of the country. So there we have a big rural community. And also we have a significant recent arrival population, particularly Hispanic or Latino. So my presentation, I initiated my presentation by sharing how we were impacted by COVID-19, which was very similar to what happened in the, at the national level. But specifically, we were a, a extremely impacted uh, by COVID-19, having, like for example, sixty percent of the total population. At a certain time in 2020, in this, during the summer of 2020, sixty percent of the of the population infected with COVID-19 were Latinos or Hispanics, and uh, we also had um, one of the highest rates of of deaths. Uh, in terms of um, racial and any uh, racial and any groups, we were one of the uh, we had one of the highest death rates of the state. So, um, with this being said, actually we started we needed to focus efforts on Hispanic Latinos and had to really tailored uh, interventions that, uh, in this case, we implemented, implemented culturally adapted and linguistically adapted factors or elements into those interventions in, in order to have a higher impact. And and revert that negative impact, excuse me, to revert that negative impact and eventually protect more Hispanic and Latino lives in Nebraska. So that is an example I shared with the audience, because eventually we created some cultural interventions uh, to address COVID-19, such as a mariachi vaccine clinic, which was basically a community vaccine clinic, a mobile vaccine clinic where the Latino Hispanic community resides in Omaha. And um, and we basically brought, for example, um, we, for example, a couple of bands to play right on the main street while we were having available vaccines for the community. But also we brought together um, a group of physicians right on that side to uh, have also a, a space where the community members who wouldn't uh I wouldn't like to have a vaccine but maybe they wanted to ask a question they were they had that option to interact with a physician right in that event so in this case we were hispanic latino physicians who volunteered in the mariachi vaccine clinic we also had another one for dia de los muertos where we interacted with kids and families. Similarly, um, uh, a safe space for the Latino community. And eventually, uh, we lastly, we, we recently had a, a soccer vaccine clinic where we brought a, a soccer legend from Mexico and who helped us to uh, bring the attention of the fathers of, fami- of Latino families. And the fathers brought their kids um, to get vaccinated. And we, at the end of the day, had a family fest. Uh, under the theme of soccer with a legend who was participating in some uh, games with the audience. So those are examples of how we actually uh, implemented cultural adaptations into this intervention. Based on what? Based on the idea and, and the understanding that in order to address health challenges or health problems, we need to think in those factors that surround or directly and indirectly impact our health. It's not that we need to also, not only focusing on the biological aspect or individual aspect, uh, but also identifying those family aspects, uh, community aspects, and even cultural aspects that directly impact the health. So these interventions were taking into consideration cultural elements in order to have a higher impact in, uh, and protect the health of our communities.
1: Could I ask you, uh, Doctor, uh, uh, who who supported these activities, which I think are just wonderful? The expenses of them.
2: Absolutely. Well, definitely, this was a collective effort. It was definitely. A, I have to say that the institution where I re, where I work, we um, the we were one of the collaborators, but also we collaborated with the Department of Health and we collaborated with the National Hispanic Medical Association together with other local organizations, hospitals, and clinics. It was actually a community event where, actually, the major local clinics and hospitals in the city came together and uh, and also the local health department, national organizations such as NHMA, and uh, I probably am missing one or two other national organizations who uh, participated. Um, and uh, in terms of the soccer player, when we had the um, vaccine, the soccer vaccine clinic, I have to also recognize, and acknowledge, and applaud the initiative of this soccer legend, Mr. Luis Hernandez, um, uh, who he is uh, also known as El Matador Luis Hernandez, uh, because he actually uh, was proactive in coming to Omaha. He um, he's right now on his way to Qatar because the work, the FIFA World Cup, is happening. He he works for FIFA now, and he has an incredible busy agenda, but he made a a space to participate in these kind of events. And uh, he didn't do it for uh, fame or financial purposes. He actually volunteered his time to be there with us. Wonderful. Community effort.
0: Um, What would you say are the social drivers of health in diverse communities?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, just to put it in simple words, I will say... Um, factors these are factors that influence or impact our health, and um, they can be directly or they can be indirectly directly basically when you know we can actually uh, uh, scientifically prove that those factors impact a health outcome, but that is basically in general words what a direct with a direct fact, um, an indirect a direct factor is and an indirect factor is not necessarily have to be uh, cannot be proven by science or scientific knowledge, but we know that it's a factor that influence our health. For example, um, you know we know that a, we can measure biculturalism. For example, we can measure a, a certain cultural aspects, but sometimes these are not necessarily proven beliefs that are that cannot be tangible, uh, but equally impact the health of our community. So. These are, in general words, uh, what the social drivers of, uh, of health are. And when we also talk about uh, these factors in the community, it's very important how we define community. I think even one of the initial steps when we talk about this this topic is that we need to define the community that we will serve uh, because otherwise we will be scattered. And we are recognizing and during these conferences those uh, marginalized or underserved communities um, that uh, are part of our society in the nation. And that is a way how we can define health. So in order to uh, tailor interventions, uh, it's always good to identify the community that we want to have that major impact. Dr. Valdez,
0: can you please give us um, some of the highlights of your presentation? Uh, certainly. Um- you know, last
3: year was the first time that I've been in a Movement for Life uh, meeting, and I really came about the knowledge of this through a medical student. Um, and it really surprised me that I didn't know about it from my organization, from other memberships. And, the, you know, when I came here, I, I was and – I, and I got to know a lot of the individuals. I was very much impressed with their knowledge, with their experience, with their diversity, uh, with their passion, uh, and what they were doing in the organization. Um, so much so that, you know, I remember continuing this conversation with some of the people here in the room, including you, uh, Claudia. And I was very honored to come in and be asked to participate in, in today's uh, panel. My topic was dealing with community intersectionality, and I felt that that the intersectionality of, of community, sometimes it's not something that is discussed very much, but a very important part of social influences and social determinants of health. And why is that? Because community intersectionality, actually intersectionality, is really the common ways and complex ways that... People's identities, community identities, uh, can be used to marginalize the individual. And it can be pretty complex in the, in the sense that um, all of us are, have so many life experiences and, and so many parts of our lives that can be discriminated against by, in different times or different eras. And so, you know, looking at that, I also at that these communities have a lot of resilience, that our members here in MIL, looking at them, they come from all walks of life, and they've succeeded. And they've succeeded against many uh, areas of diversity in which there were barriers um, and there were discrimination. So in looking at them, I knew that they had the grit, that they had the passion, and and certainly they have the knowledge of what it takes to move an organization uh, not only forward, but our community forward, and these are the leaders that can make an impact uh, for movement in life and for our patients. So that being said, you know I first defined intersectionality and what it meant, and the fact that you know th- it, that it really is about multiple levels of discrimination. Then I actually uh, introduced several uh, wheels that are that are that actually delineate the different complexities and definitions of that intersectionality that includes military service, that includes uh, where you live, do you, are you a native speaker or not? And, you know, these uh, this accumulate and can really impact communities when you're having identity communities. For example, I'm from South Texas, and 95% of the individuals in my two areas that I live in are Hispanic and of Mexican descent. So and yet here they are, and here they survive, and here they thrive. And what makes that happen? And that individuality of that community is something that the doctors in 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 the that community understand and know. And when we have those experts then come to this meeting from all over the nation, you have a very rare occurrence of having all those individuals uh, that have worked in those communities, they understand the communities and can actually identify the strengths more than the weaknesses because they can identify it in themselves. So part of the exercise was really identifying those areas within each individual and then sharing those experiences. I think that was really fun and uh and educational all at the same time to understand that individual from at least a snippet of their life story. I think then uh, we talked about MIL and any suggestions that might have so that we could move this community forward in helping those that are most need.
0: Thank you.
1: I I just want to comment one. Your talk was excellent and for me, um, who I am somewhat uh, not prone to big words like uh, intersectionality, because to me it's another another word that's been introduced. It doesn't really apply to me or not. But I really you educated me, and I really think that that is important. Because when I looked at the at the graph that you did present. The pie chart that's expanded here mm-hmm. for sure, with all the different factors such as uh, which I'll mention in a second. But I, I looked at it. And I said, now, "Now, do I fill this out and look at it at my age now, at my stage in life now, or as I went through or started?" And so um, I was able to obviously. Uh, apply more and more of the, of the uh, of those uh, factors such as marital status, military experience, job mm. classification, native-born, um, religious belief, uh, thinking styles, uh, parental status. All this comes into play, and it really is a mix, and which to me would be, uh, I understand that better, than intersectionality, but it is a mix that makes up what I am now. Who
3: you are, yeah. It it helps you think of the identities of who you are and who you've been, where you started, and where you are now. And they all have strengths and weaknesses, but mostly, in my opinion, strengths. If you've been able to, to do what you have done in your career... And, and had that level of influence, yeah, I, I think it's just tremendous and a great example. And we forget sometimes um, in our humbleness to sometimes you know applaud ourselves for what we've done and for our influence. And that's kind of what I wanted to do today is, is highlight, you know, individually have people really look at all the attributes they have, all the skills, and despite what anybody else says, these are can, this are strength. If somebody says I'm bilingual and that's not good, or I'm female and that's not good, I said, well, let me show you how I am, and this is how I apply it in my community and in my healthcare practice and education. So I think there needs to be more discussions of this out there, so people can value what they do, especially now when. Yeah, it's so difficult to find that spark back. And like I said, when I came last year, I found that spark, and I felt like, wow, you know, I got reignited again when I saw the caliber of people you know, what they do, and how humble they are. You know, so um, that's one one reason why I thought that exercise was going to be important. Well,
1: if I can go further, Claudia, on this uh, personally, I live in uh, now in Monterey Salinas. Uh, part of California, mm-hmm. and so when I drive by the fields, acres and acres of vegetables and and uh, fruit, uh, strawberries, etc., and see these people out there who are working under the stifling heat, bent over. Row upon row of uh, needing to pick fruit, get into the end of the row and turn around, and you got to go back again uh, another mile <laughs> mm-hmm. picking fruit. Um, it just makes me think that their intersectionality, their mix of all the factors mm-hmm. at their level, my God, are they behind the eight ball? You know, mm-hmm. are they are they? They are really marginalized. They are really disadvantaged. Uh, I was privileged enough to, uh, about four weeks ago, at Santa Clara University, they produced a video. This individual, Alex Ontiveros, produced this video called Campesinos, America's Unsung Heroes. Mm -hmm. And it had to do with Napa Valley, Santa Clara Valley, Salinas Valley, where I'm at. Where he went out there and he uh, filmed the campesinos as they get up in the little camps, you know, and, and then go to the uh, go to the field to work. And some work are picking grapes at night, and mm-hmm. it's supposed to be better for the grapes to pick them <laughs> to mm-hmm. pick them at night or so, but. They're going down these fields with floodlights in order mm-hmm. to uh, to illuminate what 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 they're doing, but to, to see their work. All I can say is, they But for the grace of God, go I, because you know my parents made decisions or what have you that in my these factors that made up my mix or intersectionality were geared in a different way so thank you
3: yes and and i can i can say um having been one of those people that bend their backs uh picking cotton and picking you know carrots and okra and you name it i i quickly understood the inequities that, that was in there the mistreatment you know received even from the truck drivers um but yet then, and even then, I wanted to be the best cotton picker, you know? And, you know, I I sympathize. I feel the pain. And I think that's what it takes. It takes people who have lived that experience to be able to really connect, I think, and, and, and feel what they're feeling and communicate in a way that understands what they're going through. Um, and so... You know, communities, even those communities, are very strong in faith, and much of that is what keeps them going. Uh, What we need to do, I think, in that case, obviously, is, as you said, recognize, you know, where they are and continue the movements and advocacy that have helped them in the past. You know, sometimes we forget um, how privileged uh, we are, but we should not forget the power we have, and how we can impact people's lives.
1: And familia is a big, is a big, big
0: familia. Factor. Yes, mm. it's huge. Dr. Shapiro, um, can you please give us a uh, recap of your presentation for the social influences?
4: We divided the conversation in three uh, three-step forward uh, conversation. The first part was to understand. What things we have out there that we have been using? Uh, what campaigns have been working? And uh, Doctor De Alba actually gave an amazing conversation of um, how in Nebraska things were happening and actually what worked. After that, we were having a beautiful conversation with Doctor Valdez where we need to do self-reflection, understanding where we are coming from, and understanding transsexuality uh, of the things that we were doing. And the, the third thing was. Uh, How can we bring those tools that we already have and leverage media to put the conversation out there? Um, During my conversation, I had the pleasure to share what things actually worked for us in L.A. County and Orange County and the things that we could actually improve. And one of the things that we wanted to make sure that everybody understood was that Hispanos are not the same group. Uh, it's multiple groups with different feelings and we need to cater the message depending on where we are to the conversations that our communities need um, and one of the things that uh, you made me smile when you asked me this during the do during our conversation um, here at the movement is life what, what do I mean with medicalish? I say the phrase uh, that I want to translate medicalish to an actionable language um, in medicalish is that feeling when we have conversations with doctors and we have no idea what they're talking about and there, we hear a lot of terminology but we do not know if that terminology is good or bad we do not know if that's you know something that we need to be worried of or something that will actually go away by itself then that's why it's so important for us as healthcare providers and healthcare providers could be people that are involved in, in making management ideas for a healthcare system or someone that actually creating products or topic products for our community we need to make sure that we are bringing that information for our communities and families that have two or three jobs. They are trying to make sure that everybody is safe. And most importantly, to give them the opportunity to, to, to ask questions, to have that conversation. And um, that's kind of part of the, the things that we were uh, going. And the last thing was actually to create a plan on important things and topics that they were they, they need to do and amplify uh, it could be from arthritis, it could be from diabetes, it could be from obesity, it could be from many things that we have out there in the community. But making sure that we were ready to deploy a plan, uh, understanding that we have still traditional media like Univision, Telemundo, or um, you know other uh, U.S. networks like CNN, uh, Univision, uh, sorry, uh, NBC Latino. That is actually a new new, new thing coming. In um, ABC, NBC, MSNBC, Fox, that you know our communities are hearing that part, and also leverage the new generations with social uh, social media.
0: Okay, so perhaps now we can have a more open discussion about strategies for improving well-being for our con- communities, and suggest some actionable next steps in 2023 for our listeners to build on the take-home messages from the workshop. Let's go around the table, and others can chime in as we go. Well, I'll jump in. I think if I were to say uh,
3: something for the audience is that if you're listening to this, you have power and privilege, and you have survived many, many, I think, a discrimination for most of you. And so I would say use that uh, to heal inequities, to comfort um, and to assist and to strategize, you know, for, um, for the good of, our, of your community.
2: I will say that in, in terms of uh, working with diverse communities, try to identify what their needs are instead of not assume, not assume what their needs are. Work with them, uh, listen, collaborate, build things together with the community uh, those culturally tailored interventions are not just made by one person. It's a team effort, and team effort also includes community members. So not only those who work in the clinics, hospitals, or healthcare sectors, but also across other sectors. So it's a it's it's a, it's a universe that we need to. The more people we have on the table, the more diverse people uh, we have on the table or team we have. The uh, closer to excellence will be. So uh, diversity drives excellence. And community members are the ones who know best our communities. So um, that will be the take-home message. And maybe my, the actionable uh, item, I will say, uh, get to know your community leaders and work with them.
1: I don't want to sound boorish when I say it, but talk is cheap. Action is important, mm-hmm. and so just based on that quote, how do we advise our our patients on how to negotiate the healthcare system? How do, and by that I mean, how do we uh, access it? how do, How do we do that? Do we tell them to look for promotoras? Look for uh, somebody mentioned today uh uh beauticians uh barbershop people who may know other others go to your pharmacy I mean pharmacists now are into they like to be able to consult patients they do make their income or revenue off of medications, and an educated patient is going to ask their own doctor once it or clinic or what have you the health care provider to prescribe this or that or. I really think it's important, on the other hand, for healthcare providers, it cannot always be racial and ethnic concordant. We're not enough, uh, you know, there's not enough Latinos. For orthopedic surgeons, the sad fact is that there's maybe at best 400 orthopedic surgeons that are Hispanic Latino identified out of 32,000. I mean, it's a very low percentage, and it's kind of a flat rate. And I've been at this for 25 uh, years or so. But uh, when I go around giving my talks on diversity and and uh, treating, treating, and communicating with patients, I I try to give them the example of, of how I had my practice, and I am fluent in Spanish uh, and in English, and so that's a direct advantage I had, but if I was not, if I was a Caucasian physician who did not speak Spanish, I know of an example of another orthopedic surgeon friend who had an office in Salinas, and so his staff, 90% of his staff was bilingual and bicultural. He makes the the offhand comment, he said, yeah, my staff referred to me as Whitey, but he tried to learn, speak some Spanish. He tried to communicate. And so when the patients came there and the receptionist greeted him in Spanish or her in Spanish, asked about their kids, showed empathy and engagement, and said all those key points, um, they felt at home all this physician had to do was to treat them as a human, human being, and it didn't matter the color or the or so. The patients are very open, they're very forgiving, especially in, uh, in, on how you relate to them.
2: Mm-hmm. And thanks for sharing that uh, comment, Doctor, because um, it allows us to also... Uh, bring a concept uh, that we hadn't discussed it, but I, I mean we have talked about it, but we hadn't named it. Um, like in academia, we 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 say it. It's something that is c- cultural humility. Um, and another concept that is similar, sometimes overlaps, is cultural sensitivity. So I think as, as healthcare providers, it's important that we keep this into consideration because uh, we need to, if we, are, if we do not belong to the community that we are serving, like in the case of this physician who wasn't self-identified as Hispanic or Latino, but he was able to sense, uh, learn or, or educate himself or empower himself to help the Latino community, he that is an excellent example of what we can do as providers with other communities we can we need to be humble we need to know our limitations but also we need to be open and receptive to learn uh, about other cultures particularly if we are providing service in a community that is um, from a community that we don't self identify as um, as, as with a similar background, a racial and ethnic background. Another concept I will say is that, um, and another level that I want to bring the conversation to, it's how we as providers, if we are not from that community, how we can influence health policies. Health, uh, health policies. And because we have a lot of colleagues who don't necessarily are, Latino or Hispanics, but they want to help Latino or Hispanics, or they want to change the culture of the institution to help Latino or Hispanics. I will say that one of the most powerful tools that I have identified and I try to also learn from is through research. Um, that is actually, research will bring you numbers. We bring you facts and those are very powerful when you have to advocate for communities who are if you are from another community and you wanna advocate for under privileged or underserved communities and you bring numbers to the table, particularly those to those decision makers or to those who build the policies, that is very, very efficient. And and that is something that you don't necessarily have to speak the language. You can actually be from a community that can be considered privileged and use your privilege to transform that privilege into something meaningful and impactful to bring other people together. So that is another concept that I wanted to share because I think it's also important that we, uh, we talk it with our colleagues or with other uh, members of society who want to advocate for, for the entire community or maybe those communities who don't necessarily relate or, or identify with.
3: I would agree with that allyship because um, I think there's power in numbers and power in people who have cultural humility. If anything's shown over as far as research and training and dealing with uh, diversity and diversity uh, obstacles, uh, cultural humility has been proven to make a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I would echo what you mentioned about the importance of that and the impact it has not only on the patients where it really needs to happen, but also in the individual. I think they have more gratitude and ability then to better enjoy their practice and do it in a way I think that again benefits the patient because they're enjoying it. They, the rewards are incredible if you can just stop and listen and see the under individual and their story. I, I think the most important aspect of this is that you need to treat everybody with dignity, every human being, and hear their story. That's why, you know, today I mentioned stories, because I think stories are powerful. Mm -hmm.
1: They really are. And um, the uh, Augustus White, who uh, you may personally know or not, but, you know, he's been our our leader here at Moving His Life. He gives He's given talks all over the nation, and I've heard him many, many, many times address an audience. Always starts his audience, uh, his talk, with my fellow humans. Not ladies and gentlemen, not whatever. It's always my fellow humans. And his, uh, his book, Seeing Patience, which was published about... Eight nine years ago now uh, conveys that uh, that idea of cultural humility, the idea of dignity, mm-hmm. which is very important with patients. Um, so thank you for that input.
0: Why do you think we need more Hispanics in medicine? And and before one of you answers, you know, in my work as planning and in um, getting new medical schools accredited. When I started in 2007 with those type of projects, I believe we only had 5% Hispanics in in medicine. Now we're talking 2022. As of 2030, Hispanics are gonna gonna be the largest majority, minority group Mm -hmm. in the US. But yet, I think we're only at 7%. So it Mm -hmm. seems like we have a long way to go. So why do you think we need more Hispanics? Hispanic doctors.
2: Well, there are different ways that we can answer this question one, if we go very technical um, we do not match the percentage of the representation at the national with the national demographics, according to the census Hispanics represent about the eighteen percent sixteen percent of the total population of the country and um so you already mentioned how small we are in terms of representation in the medical society. And even even more critical the numbers come when you look at into different specialties. So um, that is something that can be a, a technical question. Another from another perspective or another direction, I will say because diversity drives excellence. And if we want to be a leader worldwide, we need to think as how we can drive bring excellence and be leaders not only nationally, but globally, and that is with diversity. Because, again, it goes back to we are all humans, and and the more diverse we are, the more ideas we have, the more elements or components we have to uh, uh, impact our health, not necessarily the medical knowledge, but also those factors that directly impact the health of our patients, of our communities, and the more diverse ideas we have. Because, I, again, I want to even open it not only to racial and any minority groups. I also want to uh, speak in terms of diversity for those who have the, uh, different ideologies, religions, um, and other wonders that might exist um, you know, within our society. The more diverse we are. The more prepared we can be as healthcare providers, and the more hum, the more humans we can uh, the, uh, engage with our patients, and and under and and, and provide quality care. That is another question. Another from another direction. How I could answer this question.
3: And I, I very much echo that as well. I, you know, I definitely emphasize the fact that we don't have the representation that is needed. Uh, not only in medical profession, but as you said, in the diverse healthcare industry, I think we're still not well represented. Uh, our, there has to be a special focus uh, in not only the nation, but um, but in businesses and in medical schools to think about you know holistic admissions, so that uh, it can make an impact. In the school that I'm in, the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. School of Medicine, we have 45% Hispanic. We have about 60% from that area. And that that was a very defined mission that we had from the very beginning about serving our own community. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, building global health practitioners that can go anywhere, but part of that is learning how to serve your community as well. And we wanted to mirror what we were serving Um, And that's us. But if you look at it on a a higher national level, and especially speaking to uh, kind of the percentages that Claudia was talking about, uh, the low percentages of physicians and practitioners as compared to the population, um, very much what you said about uh, how understanding the patient, having that culture of humility, having had those experiences... Uh, and having that ethnic diversity then present within uh, the milieu of, of caretakers improves everybody else, not just the patient, but most importantly, improves healthcare outcomes in that diverse population. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think peop- patients are much easier to comply, to follow through in, in their visits, to um, address you know, the issues more directly with somebody they trust. So I think that's really important. I think there's uh, definitely a lot more healthcare providers out there, including the promotoras. They've done an incredible job. I have a lot of respect for them. And um, I think we all need to work in tandem with each other uh, to make this thing happen.
1: And you both mentioned the word, and that's because we need it. We do need to have that happen. And the reality is that we are on a slippery slope and not not making a lot of traction and gaining in numbers. Um, but I think that it's, it's so very important to, to... We do know that racial concordance and ethnic concordance, patient and, and uh, provider is very important. Uh, and for the reasons that that Adela just, just stated, the patients trust, communicate, um, and follow through and are uh, adherent to your treatment plan, your suggestions. So I and I can tell you that uh, you know I'm founder and uh, past resident of the American uh, Association of Latino Orthopedic Surgeons. It's still, even though we did it ten years ago, it's still a fledging almost frail organization, and and that's because the numbers just aren't there. So what I did about three years ago, was I expanded our um, objective, if you would, and we expanded to include in the membership physicians, orthopedic surgeons that serve the exploding latino population which is going to be 25% by 2040 so and they are not i mean they're in nebraska they're 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 in minnesota there's new york obviously florida texas california arizona etc all the, but but they are uh, all over and so therefore and there are orthopedic surgeons who do see them in their practice and so they just these providers need to and healthcare providers not just primary care providers also need to open their arms and who are not latino or hispanic need to open their arms and and uh, welcome these fellow human being patients Thank you.
0: So as you can see, the workshop and the dis- this discussion set out to help participants identify strategies to address the unique health needs of diverse communities, taking into account social drivers, intersectionality, the importance of speaking your patient's language, but most importantly, the having a diverse healthcare workforce. So thank you again for our wonderful guests for joining us today. We hope that we have opened your mind and expanded your skills as healthcare influencers. And as a quick reminder to our listeners, you can access videos of the plenary sessions, including the panel discussions and talks, by visiting our website at www.movementislifecaucus.com. And if you enjoyed the episode today, please do let your friends and colleagues know about the Healthcare Disparities Podcast, which is available on all leading podcast platforms. And thank you to the listeners of the Health Disparities Podcast. It has been a pleasure to host this episode. We we'll look forward to, for you to join us again. Until next time, this is Claudia Zamora saying goodbye from all of us.